Hi, this is Mo. And this is Sarah, and you're listening to the podcast Bird Shit. We started this podcast to share our love of birding with other enthusiastic birders in the world. Let's talk about sex, birdie. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the birds doing it in the trees. <laughs> I don't even need to tell you to say. I think I think that's the perfect way to just get right into this. Yeah, okay, perfect. A, so thanks for setting the move, uh, Marvin Gaye. Appreciate uh, you. Or um, No, that's not Marvin Gaye, is it? No, no, it's not Marvin Gaye, but I just mean like... Actually, oh. I think... I think um, Barry White comes to mind to me. Like oh, I feel God. like you're like Birdie White. <laughs> yeah, with my super baritone voice going yep. really low. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about mm-hmm. sex, baby. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, that's a really bad impression of Barry White. Uh, hey, it wasn't me this time. I know. Impressions. You should be proud. I should be proud that I've passed on my terrible skills to you. Welcome to Birdship Podcast. We figured we have talked enough about sex on this podcast already, so why not have an entire episode dedicated to it? Uh, this episode idea was actually proposed by one of my friends. Uh, we were at this picnic, and even though he's not really into birds, we are at this picnic, and he was like, Hey, Mo, how do birds have sex? Like, do they do it while they're flying, or do they do it somewhere else? Like, I don't understand. And I feel like I've seen so many birds have sex since I used to raise chickens that I didn't even think about the fact that other people don't know how birds have sex. So let's talk about it. I am so ready. Everything we've done up until this moment was preparing us for this podcast episode. I know. All of our episodes have been not safe for work, but this one is especially not safe for work. Unless you happen to work in like a biological lab and you investigate bird sex all day, in which case this is the most qualified podcast for your employment. Yeah, actually, I think this is one we um, research the most and I think are actually really... No, we research all of our podcasts very thoroughly. Sarah, what are you talking about? I am not saying we don't do thorough research all the time, but I feel like we did so much research for this one. I feel like it was really just a matter of us putting uh, anecdotes to things we already knew about bird sex. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> or just sex in general. We were just like, ooh, this is a thing in sex. And then we we're like, do birds do it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so baby, baby, I th- <laughs> Sorry. There's Birdie White. He came out. <laughs> I'm so glad your version of Birdie White made an appearance. Um, it makes me so happy. So in this episode, we're going to cover both unique bird sex moves as well as their intriguing mating and courtship rituals. So not just getting down and dirty, but, you know, the little foreplay that leads up to uh, the the moment of truth. (laughs) Uh, They usually call it the magic, Mo, but I'm glad that you went with the moment of truth. I can imagine you just like, are you ready to experience the moment of truth? (laughs) (laughs) And this guy, some guy's like, I don't know what you're talking about, but uh, no, no, thank you. I choose dare. (laughs) What I finally look like underneath all of these sweatshirts that I wear. (laughs) So as in any intro to sex ed class, we're going to begin with the basics. So we're going to talk about the normal And while I say normal, um, it just means the most common. Nothing is normal when it comes to sex. Uh, Way that birds get it on. Most birds 
About 97% of bird types mate through what is called cloaca kissing. I mean, doesn't that just sound adorable? Aww. It's actually kind of gross. So prepare yourself. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, the cloaca is a posterior orifice that serves as the only opening for the digestive, reproductive, and urinary tracts of many vertebrates, including birds. So basically, you just got one hole where everything comes in and out. Pretty simple. During mating season, the cloaca protrudes slightly out of the body, and the reproductive organs will produce sperm and ova. Essentially, birds will rub their cloacas together to allow the semen to enter the female's cloaca and then move into the reproductive tract to inseminate. Super exciting, kind of gross, but yeah, they're basically just rubbing two dirty holes together. (laughs) (laughs) You are the best sex ed teacher that I never had. You have such a great voice for this. I think you should host like your own sex talk radio program. Side note, I've always wanted to teach sex ed. I think it's so important. And I think once I like get done with my current career, I'm going to go and be a sex ed teacher. There's a lot of birds out there who really could use your knowledge. Oh my God, these birds, I feel so sad for them that they're just like, it's, it gets worse. Well, it doesn't, it's not bad. You know, whatever is your cup of tea no, I think the phrase is don't ick their yum. Like, don't say it's gross, but someone else enjoys. So for birds, the re- thing they really enjoy is a pretty bland sex position for the most part. They can't have sex in the air, which is really lame. What's the point of flying if you can't have sex in the air? Uh, isn't that the Mile High Club? <laughs> I bet if you put a bunch of birds on an airplane, they'd all go to the lavatory and just have sex there. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that's what birds are just waiting for. I mean, I'm, I imagine it'd be difficult to have sex in the air. But basically what they do is they have sex with the bird female hunched down with her tail feathers to the side and the male balanced on top. And the sessions are super short, like a couple seconds only. Due to this, birds may mate multiple times during mating season to increase chance of fertilization. And if you're a chicken, you just fucking mate whenever you want. Really? Oh my god, they that rooster was so horny. Like, he had sex so many times a day. It was not fair. The poor girls, man. It was a lot of work for them. Oh man, oh. Can you neuter a rooster? Is that just cruel? You can castrate them oh, or yeah. whatever. Oh yeah, yep. But you're supposed to do it, like, when they're super, super young. Yeah, that makes sense. At that point, like, why do you even have a rooster, honestly? Did you ever have fertilized eggs? Technically, every egg we ate was fertilized. Did you ever have any develop into chicks? No, none of our birds got broody, so none of them ever sat on their eggs. Okay, okay. They were probably like, oh, my God, I don't want my child to look like this man. And so they probably (laughs) just decided to abandon the eggs and let us eat it. Well, that's super lucky for you. I mean, um, I think that's a good lead-in to talking about duck sex. I titled this Puzzles and Corkscrews. Seriously, this is relevant. So we're going to take a lot of our knowledge that we talk about for duck sex from Yale ornithology professor Richard Prum and his novel The Evolution of Beauty, How Darwin's Forgotten Theory of Mate Choice Shapes the Animal World and Us. So we're going to learn about how weird duck mating is. Be prepared. So you know how I talked about 97% of birds types don't have a penis? Yep. Ducks fall into the 3% that have a dick. And in terms of penis size, ducks are the true winner. So the penises in terms of ratio of member to body length is astounding. It's generally their body length or more with the Argentinian lake duck, 
having the longest bird penis, which is 17.17 inches long, longer than the bird itself. Oh, my God. So, lady ducks or male ducks, <laughs> whoever is getting this dick, I am sorry. They should nickname this dick the Titanic because it is going to just crash in and break. Like, I cannot imagine a 17-inch dick. No, especially on a bird that's only a foot long. Yeah, like that's, I mean, like I can't imagine a 17-inch dick. Let's not say I don't have a good imagination. But on that bird, who? Yeah, damn. Some scientists speculate that such a giant penis may be example of a runway sexual selection where females' preferences drive male anatomy to even greater extremes, such as with the male peacock's tail being beautiful and gorgeous. Um, But their penises aren't always out and ready, which is why you probably haven't seen a duck dick ever. Um, But like taking a swim in cold water, they regress after mating season, and then they regrow every mating season. To add to this already impressive resume of long dicks, not only is it long, but it's not straight. It actually spirals counterclockwise from base to tip. So you basically have a 17-inch long corkscrew that you're going to use to open a wine bottle. Is that? That's longer than the wine bottle, probably. Oh, yeah, probably. Probably. At least you won't have the cork break off. You have everything (laughs) else break off on the way down, though. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So now we're going to actually do uh, some sad and strange dark side to duck mating as a warning. Trigger warning for all you ducks out there. Yeah. Um, A huge part of this is that forced copulation is actually a common tactic for the species. So ducks may have a reputation for being monogamous, but in reality it's much more gruesome as the females are often gang-raped by the males. This behavior is so ingrained in ducks, though, that the female's oviduct, aka her vagina, has adapted to this behavior, which is insane. It's so cool. Female ducks have a twisty, turny reproductive tract that can spiral clockwise in the opposite direction of the male penis, with some turns in the uh, oviduct pathway almost acting like teeth, which is terrifying. And literally, there was a movie made about this called Teeth, which I imagine would be anyone with a dick's nightmare. Also, anyone who has, like, gynecologists just reaching your hand in there and they can snap Also, like, just anyone, maybe? Like, that is so scary. Unless you wield the power. I don't know if I want vagina teeth. You can choose when you use them. Oh, oh. But what if what if they're like cat claws where like your instinct kicks in and you're like, oh no. <laughs> and then like you realize like you actually didn't want to do that. And Why do you think cat claws are instinctual? You know, a cat might really love you, but if you like do something that pisses it off, it might, it's instinct is just be like, I'm going to murder this fucking human. And then I'll be like, oh wait, just kidding. I like you. This is why I want vagina teeth. No one will ever piss me off. (laughs) Some scientists do theorize that female ducks can unblock their oviducts if so inclined, meaning that she usually ends up with the desired Drake's ducklings, despite the fact that she's probably had unwanted sex with multiple ducks. So I think going from normal on-top missionary bird cloaca rubbing to corkscrew puzzle dicks is the spectrum of kind of like the bird sex world we're not going to get into this too much but there's a whole like necrophilia duck situation too like that dutch scientist who observed one male duck um, fornicating with a dead male duck 
outside of his office building for like 75 minutes the, this duck was just like pounding into this dead male duck in like a really disturbing way do you think it was a dominance thing or do you think he was just like man you can really take my 17 inch dick i'm gonna keep going <laughs> they think what it was was that the duck wasn't getting any negative feedback from oh the dead God. duck and so the duck was like well okay like i guess i'm just gonna keep going you know so so yeah it was the oh you t- can take and don't hate my 17 inch dick still going i'm just saying that uh, from a very basic like binary duck thought process yes. i think this duck was like well okay and let us remind you that we are speaking of bird sex only these are evolutionary and natural processes not yeah. involved anything with humans so This duck wasn't getting a no, so he was just kept on going. And I think what's also weird about this particular, like, like necrophiliac case is that... How many necrophiliac cases do you know about, Mo? Well, this was the one that became super famous. The whole concept was basically, like, like, is this research even valid for anything? Like, just the fact that this scientist happened to be in his office when this duck hit a window and died. And then it's like... You just you just wrote like a research paper about how ducks have this necrophiliac tendency. And is it true or is it just one case of a duck coming across a dead duck's body and not knowing that it was dead? Exactly. It became famous more like, is this actual thing or is it more like you shouldn't have been doing this kind of research because it's not really research? If someone wants to publish my mental meanderings on why this duck is fucking a dead duck, please, please do. I'd no. love to read that. Yeah, well, I'm going to come across a second case of it. Also, you should read less about necrophilia. I feel like you said in this case, which means you have multiple necrophilia stories. Well. Maybe that's another episode. Maybe I'll keep my secrets to myself. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should tell your therapist, though. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, here's where the bodies are. Okay, so one other type of, of bird sex that people think is bird sex, but is actually not is uh, the concept of bald eagles when they fall from the sky in their sort of mating ritual. So bald eagles, as we talked about in a recent episode uh, for 4th of July, incredible birds. Check that episode out if you haven't listened to it. But bald eagles are very sociable birds, and they often roost together in communal areas during non-breeding seasons. And then when it's time to mate, they put on quite a show. Scientists aren't really sure what characteristics bald eagles are looking for in their mates or how the birds assess uh, a potential partner's reproductive potential. But what we do know is that bald eagle pairs engage in a number of courtship rituals as they build their bond. And since these birds are monogamous, which we also talked about, like building this bond is like a really important thing. The most famous and recognizable of these rituals is the cartwheel courtship flight. During this flight, Uh, Many people think that this is when eagles copulate, but it is in fact just a high adrenaline courtship dance, kind of like a prom nightmare. You know, like the first dance you ask your prom date to, it's like... And you're curling through the sky. (laughs) You're hurling through the sky and you don't know how to dance. You're stepping on her feet and you don't know if you're going to get laid or not. You're just like kind of like wheeling through this. During this flight, this courtwheel courtship flight, two bald eagles fly up super high They lock talons, and then they free fall, a la Tom Petty, (laughs) toward the ground doing a cartwheel spin. And then at the very last minute, they break apart, but in some cases, they actually hit the ground. (laughs) They don't quite break apart. Those ones shouldn't mate if you can't break apart and you just hit the ground. Yeah, if you can't break apart, like, there's bad communication. It's not meant to be. Cut it off. 
To make things even a little more questionable, some non-breeding bald eagles may engage in the same freefall cartwheel flight antagonistically as a kind of ritualistic battle. Some scientists have suggested that immature eagle talons locking together like this might be a precursor to adult courtship behavior and they're kind of learning as young. Or maybe it's just like bird S&M where they kind of just mix pleasure and pain. Like it's sort of uncertain exactly why they do this. Come on, bald eagles. Spice it mm-hmm. up. And bald eagles perform other flights as well, not just the cartwheel freefall. They might chase each other through the air before they lock talons and do aerial rolls. They also might do what is called a roller coaster, in which one of the birds mimics the path of a roller coaster flying up really high and then going into a dive, pulling up high again and diving down again. So bald eagles have a lot of different ways in which they pursue courtship flights, but sadly they do not have sex in the air during their free fall somersaults. That's kind of cool, though, that they're both just like, yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to lock talons and hurl towards the ground to prove we like each other. I don't know. It's, it's kind of takes some guts. I think it's kind of cool. I mean, Sam and I went skydiving before we got married. I went skydiving with friends. That's it. That's an element of trust. Yeah. You're yeah. just those juveniles just trying it out before you. Uh... I actually saw a hawk, too. And the guy was like, do you want to get closer and check out this bird? And I was like, no, I'm going to throw up in five minutes. We have to land. <laughs> Did you really feel sick from skydiving? Dude, I took like four Dramamine and I was still sick from skydiving. I am so motion sick and I was just like, no, I'm doing this. I'm going to take this Dramamine. And then like as soon as you stop and they release the shoot, I was just like, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. Dude, did the guy say he's ever had people throw up on him before? I didn't ask. He didn't tell me. We just, like, I was, like, in my mind I was going to throw up, and I was just, like, keeping my mouth shut and my eyes open, and I probably, like, he probably thought I was, like, taking it all in, and he's like, wow, this girl's really enjoying this. And in my mind, I'm just like, don't open your mouth, don't open your mouth, don't open your mouth, don't open your mouth. Do you get sick on airplanes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. And car rides, and I know, and I want to get back into roller coasters, because I love roller coasters. Oddly enough, my favorite was the corkscrew. Oh, you mean the duck penis? Yeah, the duck penis ride. And then the the wall of mirrors thing would be the duck vagina. <laughs> you know, like that thing you go through with all the mirrors? The aviduct. The aviduct. The yeah. avian aviduct. Yeah, that would be sweet. That would be, let's open up our own theme park. Oh, bird shit R Us. Did you just, did you just do bird shit R Us like Toys R Us? Yeah, I was like, I don't know what to call it. <laughs> that is not a theme park. That's a store. You just thought of like one thing with kids. You're like, yeah, kids go to that thing. <laughs> That's pretty much how my mind worked. <laughs> hey, you know what? I mean, since Toys R Us collapsed, we could probably buy the naming rights. No, that wouldn't be any copyright infringements. Okay, I think we've talked about the sex part enough. I think now we should talk about kind of what leads up to the sex. What are they doing to get there? So, as much as it's nice to have sex, sometimes it's about everything that leads up to sex that makes it that much more enjoyable. In the case of birds, there are several different kinds of courtship rituals that birds use when they're trying to find a mate. Most species will use one method overwhelmingly over any others, but they may use other methods to lesser degrees. Courtship greatly varies between different species, and Darwin would not be surprised to discover that birds of the same species may have slightly different courtship variations in different regions. One of the courtship methods is singing. Singing, you know, is something we commonly associate with birds, and it's one of the most common ways birds attract mates. And you probably hear these love songs all throughout spring when everyone's trying to get laid. 
A song's intricacy, or a bird's variety of songs, lets mates know that it's mature and intelligent. Kind of like someone who can play the violin. <laughs> oh, is that your deepest, darkest fantasy? Violin players. Yeah. Isn't that in Phantom of the Opera? Don't they play violin? I think oh. she does. I mean, singing in general in that movie, I think, pretty much encapsulates it. Yeah, that's true. I'm missing half my face, but you should listen to my voice. Yeah, that, that, yeah. so this is Phantom of the Opera. This is it. This is it. Birds also sing to define the boundaries of their territories and warn off competition. For some species, only one gender, usually the males, will sing, while other species may create a duet as part of their bonding ritual, which I think is like also Phantom of the Opera. He's singing at first, then he wants her, he wants her, and then they're singing together, and I don't remember how it ends, but, you know, I'm sure they fuck or something. Phantom is operous. (laughs) (laughs) It's the bird species that this most commonly applies to, if you're familiar. (laughs) Also known as Angel of Music in more common speak. Another one of the courtship displays is displays. Flamboyant plumage colors and elaborate feather displays. Other birds have these colored skin sacks that they can like blow up with air. And even body shapes can help show off a bird's strength and wellness. This lets females know that they are well endowed, so to speak, from a functional chromosome perspective. Peafowl, of which the males are often known as peacocks, are one of the most commonly known stunners of this sort of display uh, with their extensive colorful fans. And every 12-year-old girl has one of those feathers in her bedroom. Oh, those are just for 12-year-old girls. Oh, no, sorry. I meant adult girls. Adult girls. Adult girls have them, too. You know what? Like, I used to have a peacock feather, and then I was looking at it. I was like... It's kind of gross. It is kind of gross. I was like, (laughs) why do I have this? And also, like, how did it get to here? Thanks for this, you know body part that fell off of your pet that lives outside in the dirt well speaking of putting things on display another method of courtship is dancing physical movements from daring dives to intricate sequences including wing flaps head dips bill rubbing or different steps can all be part of a courtship ritual in many species the male alone will dance for his female while she observes the actions while in other species both partners will interact with one another in a dance Mistakes in the dance show, inexperience, weakness, or hesitancy can all lead to an unsuccessful mating. I really think that this is my love language. Like, <laughs> it, it is. It totally is. This mm-hmm. is your love language. Mm-hmm. I dated some guys who used singing, and that didn't really work out. I don't know if I really ever dated anyone who was into displaying anything of significant value, but dancing is how I ended up with my husband, essentially. Yeah, I was going to say, you do love dancing. Dude, that man can fucking cut a rug. Yeah. And I love dancing. Yep. So you guys are a dancing courtship. We're dancing. What are you? What is your We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Oh, 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 well. Hmm. I think dancing is probably one of the most like showy ways that that humans at least have observed mating rituals in birds. And so we have a couple different examples here that are really worth showing off. The birds of paradise are obviously an excellent example of dancing birds, as we discussed in our gay birds episode. Another great dancing example is the red cap mannequin. There are more than 50 species of mannequins, each known for its own elaborate courtship rituals. But the red cap mannequin, which is native to Central and South America, probably has one of the most captivating dance moves we've ever seen. So during mating season, male red cap mannequins congregate in small groups called a lek. 
uh, to show off their fancy footwork. So they it's a it's a coordinated group dance? Well, it's not a coordinated group dance, but they do sort of like get together beforehand. And then once all the males get together, they each pick a branch to use as a perch. And they make sure that it's like free of foliage and it, it provides like optimal visibility. And this perch acts like a stage for all the ladies to sort of take a look when they start dancing. And watching this dance as a human, it is so hard not to laugh because it looks exactly like the bird is moonwalking from side to side <laughs> along this perch. Seriously, you have to see it. Hold on, wait. I'm actually going to find this for you. And we're going to put a video in the podcast notes as well so you guys can also check this out. Yep. Okay. I'm getting to it. They're all on their perch. Oh, my oh God. My oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I freaking love this video. I can watch it all day. Dude, it looks so fake. It was. It looks like someone. Oh my god! Can we please put like Michael Jackson music over it, please? It looks so yes. fake because they just move so smoothly. Yeah, man, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Each male actually adds its own sort of sound effects during this dance, like snapping, flapping, and buzzing. Though whether the noise is meant to impress females or ward off predators is still sort of up for debate. Uh, but either way, you got to watch this video. It's so entertaining. I love everything about it. Another bird that does a little less showy but flashy courtship dance is the Great Crested Grib. This courtship dance reminds me of a scene from the cartoons in which the male dancer grabs a bright red rose and puts it beneath his teeth to show off some like dramatic dipping and dance moves. So I'll get mm-hmm. to why it reminds me of this. So the great crested grib pretty much does exactly that. Um, and it is a bird that's native to freshwater lakes throughout Europe and Asia. And they're known for the elaborate courtship dance to confirm their relationship. Two gribs will establish a territory on a lake, and each time they greet each other, they'll do a series of head knocks and neck swivel dance moves. Super romantic. The climax of the dance, though, is called the weed dance. And no, they aren't smoking joints and laying around. The, like, you know, average American. Yeah, I mean, that'd be my dance. But this is, like, my reference to the rose in the teeth image earlier. So, as you can imagine, there's two ducks, and they both swim to the bottom of the lake and grab as many weeds as they can in their bill. And then as they come back up, they swim around one another and dance with the weeds in their mouth, which this takes quite a bit of stamina to stay in a flow and is an awesome dance, but it's very short. And I think it's just a brilliant display of courtship. It's really cool. It seems like very synchronized swimming type of dance, you know? Yeah. Like as opposed to the mannequin that's over there, like doing its like fancy dancy moonwalk, the grib is kind of like, no, we're much more elegant. I mean, they're water birds. Of course they are. I know. I thought it just like I pictured them both picking up a red rose and tangoing, though. Another type of courtship ritual is preening. So having close contact between male and females can be a big part of courtship rituals because it sort of helps them diffuse their normal spatial boundaries and aggression. So normally birds don't like to be super close together um, because they kind of like to have their personal space. So preening is like a good way to sort of get to know the other bird. So they might lightly preen one another or sit with their bodies touching each other, or they might just lean on one another to show that they are not intending to harm their partner. This is something that, going back to our bald eagles, after they sort of do their flights and stuff, they'll, they'll do this similar thing where they sit really close together and just sort of, like, you know, nuzzle each other a little bit to kind of show, like, okay, like, you're cool, we're here. That's cute. 
Yeah. Well, now we're getting into my love language, which is feeding. Mm. This is my love language. If someone can make a good meal or take me out to a good meal, it makes me so happy. Yeah, but like, what is like, what's like the magic food? Oh, candy. Yeah, if someone made me like a cotton candy bowl with ice cream and candy on top of it, I don't know what I'd do with myself. I don't know how that would even work. I don't know, but it's my dream. It's my dream. Also, also any pasta. Oh, pasta. Actually, anything. I'll eat anything. I'm garbage. I'll eat it all. I'm like, if you feed me something and I like it, it's good. (laughs) So for birds, offering food is a common part of what is generally more of a post-courtship ritual. A lot of this happens once the bird is actually kind of with an egg already. A male bird may bring a morsel to the female, demonstrating that he is not only able to find food, but that he can share and provide for the female while she tends to the egg and chicks. For some species, the male may bring food and leave it nearby, and in others, he will place a seed or insect directly into her mouth, just as he might do when helping to feed the hungry nestlings. So a lot of this happens during the post-courtship, once they're already impregnated, fertilized, because they're moving less because they're incubating eggs. But one species that we can watch do this nearby is the American robin. So essentially, the female will ring the dinner bell with a short call, and then she'll lower her body and shake her wings, exactly similar to that of a fledgling robin soliciting food from its parents. In the later part of the female incubation period, the female robin may receive all of her food from her partner. Damn. Which is kind of my scenario. That really is your... Like, mine was definitely... Feeding was exclusively a pre-courtship ritual, and once we hooked up, It all became my responsibility. (laughs) Nope. Mine was like, I don't cook, so if you want to eat, I'm going to eat this tortilla and salsa, and you can have a bowl of cereal. Yeah, I'm trying to think back on all the times I saw you cook in college, and they were very few far between. Yeah, I don't like cooking. Sometimes you just sit there with your bacon bits and toothpaste and... Okay, let's not... No, I, I did not eat toothpaste. I ate bacon bits. I will admit that. Toothpaste, I would just put in my mouth occasionally. Oh, but then what would happen to it? I'd just rub it all over my mouth and it would disappear. It's kind of like when you brush your teeth. Just use your tongue as a toothbrush. It just gets absorbed into your body uh-huh. if you don't actually consume it. Yeah. But I did eat gum for a long time, too. I know. I had to stop giving you gum. Oh, God. You would ring the dinner bell and say, hey, Mo. Gum. How's gum, that gum? Gum. Gum. <laughs> feed me gum. I see you having a piece of gum there. Can, you, can I have one, too? Can I have one, too? God, I was the worst. I'm sorry. No, you were great. Um, so yeah, feeding is definitely- You didn't judge me when I only ate cereal when, all the time. No, when you would- Okay, I did judge you when you would just put a shit ton of spinach in like a gross bowl of soup and eat that. That was kind yeah. of gross. But then yeah. you, you were like, I ran 10 miles and I'm going to eat this spinach and soup. I'm like, I would have 12 hot dogs and a milkshake, but- <laughs> <laughs> Well, sometimes it ended up being just like- De- defrost a bag of mixed vegetables and melt cheese on top of it and boom meal oh that's such a good meal though i can't do it anymore my tastes have become so refined i know mine have not but i still love food so the last courtship ritual that we observe in birds is building and there are lots of different ways that this can be taken um but in general certain birds attract mates by showing off their architectural skills 
Constructing nests before the female arrives is a way for males to claim their territory and also show a suitable nesting area that they can defend. They may also decorate the nest with pebbles or moss, flowers, even litter to make it a little more eye-catching. And then the female may choose the nest that she prefers, or she may still build her own after mating with the chosen male, just because he's proven that he could do it. One of my absolute favorite examples of building mates are um, bowerbirds. Bowerbirds are incredible engineers. And if you are near the internet, you need to Google bowerbird home right now. Um, there are about 20 different species of bowerbirds. Most of them live in New Guinea and Australia, and each species has a slight variation as to how they build, decorate, and maintain these elaborate bachelor pad bowers. These bowers are basically freestanding structures that the males build to woo all the ladies in the area. These bird-built bowers take many forms, but all of them are built with gathered twigs and objects such as brightly colored stones, flowers, or even just like straight up human trash is like one of the best things to use because they're so bright and colorful and like very artificially colored that bowers are just like, they go apeshit for this stuff. So male birds take a very detailed approach into building these impressive displays and each species sort of fancies a different approach material. But there are three main types of architecture. The first one is a cleared area that contains an avenue or a domed funnel of sticks that's just wide enough for a bowerbird to pass through. And sometimes they paint the inside of this with vegetable juices and saliva that they like, you know, mix up in their mouth and then paint with their tongues. It's, it's crazy. Um, these avenues produce a forced perspective when a female comes to visit. So forced perspective, just as a little reminder for you art history majors out there like myself, uh, forced perspective basically plays with a viewer's perception of size and distance. So it helps give this impression of objects seeming bigger or smaller or further or closer than they actually are. This technique was used by classical architects to make buildings appear grander. And Peter Jackson actually used this to help make Elijah Wood, who's a normal sized human being, look like a hobbit. He's pretty short. He's pretty short. I mean, there wasn't a lot of work to be done there, but... <laughs> It's still how it worked. <laughs> uh, and to lady bowerbirds, looking at a male down one of these avenues, so they usually will stand in the middle of the bower or on either side of it and look at the male through the tunnel, helps make these males look larger and more domineering. And males aid this visual by placing larger colored objects near the back of a bower and smaller objects near the front, which basically flattens the visual stage from a female's perspective. That's so crazy. Oh, it is so trippy. So that's one form of the architecture is the avenue. The other type is display court where they might use large leaves sort of laid upside down or tiled with rocks to kind of set the stage for where they're going to do their dance or a maypole method, which uses a sapling as sort of a central tower with an assortment of vegetation packed around the base, sometimes with a roof, sometimes not. And these could be several feet tall, depending on, on how long they've been used. Damn. I know. Male bowerbirds typically spend somewhere between a week to two months getting a bower built up and ready for attention, uh, depending on whether he is renovating a used bower or constructing a new one. Some bowers built by male satin bowerbirds have been maintained for more than 30 years, which is the approximate lifetime of males and females in the species. So you can imagine an estate sale when a bowerbird dies is like what everyone's trying to get in on. <laughs> I was like, I want that piece of, I want that Doritos bag. There's actually a great clip. I think it's in Planet Earth 2 where there's like these bowerbirds mm -hmm. and like they're fighting over like this red felt heart. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a great clip. I'll see if I can find it and put that in the podcast notes. But different species focus on a lot of different colors for their bowers. 
So the colors are often used to grab the attention of females that are passing by, but they also can benefit the males in other ways. Some males pick up their treasures and dance around them with, when a female comes to visit the bower, using the colors of their objects to highlight their own plumage. They think that this might have also something to do with the way a female might perceive color and how the bird can create contrast to make itself stand out more. There's like a whole bunch of different theories about the colors of different bowers and why they're used. Um, another example is male satin bower birds are blue, so they decorate their bowers with a lot of blue objects to sort of help show themselves off a little bit more. Bower birds are fascinating. I could talk about bower birds all day. That is so fascinating. I mean, setting up the force perspective to make them appear larger and more like domineering in their bower is insane. Oh, yeah. And it's all instinctual, which is the craziest part. Like, I want to go to Australia just to see a bower. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to go to Australia for a lot of reasons, but I would have to see a bower bird nest. Oh, yeah. That's so, so cool. So cool. This might be wrong, but I don't think that they actually live in the bower at all. I think it's only intended as, like, a way to attract a mate, and that's why they reuse them year after year. According to environment.nsw.gov, only the female builds a nest, and it's a shallow saucer-shaped construction placed 10 to 15 meters above the ground in the upright outer branches of a tree. So you are correct. They actually don't use it as a nest. They use it just as a bachelor pad. Dang. And then I bet the male probably doesn't even really participate, maybe. Like, all the footage I've ever seen is, like, the kiss with their little buttholes. Because he's working on his, uh, what's that? What is uh, his man cave? Oh, Yeah. If you have questions about bird sex, send them in to birdshit podcast at hellobirdshit at gmail.com. Or you can comment on one of our posts on Instagram if you'd like at birdshit podcast. Please come to us with more bird sex questions so we can do another bird sex episode because this was cool. Because Sarah just wants to live out her dream of being a sex ed teacher. I know, but instead I'm just teaching about bird sex. Yeah, birds use condoms. Don't forget. Wrap it up, birds. Oh my God. I, okay, side note. I read this study that found out people, like so many people, I can't remember the percentage. I'm pissed. I can't remember the percentage. Wash their condoms and reuse them. (gasps) Why? So ladies, men, any gender, non-identifying gender, make sure you see it come out of a wrapper. Okay. Are they that, like I could see them being expensive for certain demographics. And probably demographics that are concerned about, like, not reproducing, who probably can't afford other forms of contraception, but also go to your local Planned Parenthood and pick up a handful of condoms. Yeah. There are tons of free resources, and maybe I'll probably put some in the pod episode link for local resources for condoms and STD testing, even though that doesn't have to do with bird sex. Like, I don't really want to see a condom once it comes out of me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be seen again ever. At that point, you know, I think the guy can deal with it. Yeah, no, completely agree. Completely agree. I just walk away. <laughs> you just and get up I immediately come... and walk away and close the door. You're like, yep, I'm like, all right, cool. We're done here. You you deal with that situation that you We're caused. Done here. We're done here. You've seen the truth. <laughs> <laughs> I've been exposed. I've been exposed. Oh, wow, this was such a fun episode. Yeah, thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to Bird Sex. And if you have any uh, bird sex tips that you'd like to share with us or or some cool, awkward times you've seen birds have sex. Yeah, like uh, we saw we saw birds having sex in Point Beely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, feel free. Like, if you have 
uh, or even like an interesting mating ritual that you know of or some other cool bird sex sort of story. I don't know. I don't know why we're so obsessed with this all of a sudden. Oh, we've been, we've talked about sex on every episode pretty much, but I have one. So we were out um, on a lake in Novi and there were two dudes on a jet ski. This is in Michigan. Yeah, this is in Michigan. There were two dudes on a jet ski and they were filming something and they were filming two swans and I'm pretty sure they thought they were fighting. They were definitely fucking. And these two dudes on a jet ski together were just filming it. And I was like, why are they filming those two birds having sex? And my friend was like, I don't know. We're just gonna we're just gonna go right past this. We're not even stopping. So some people are into bird sex. Maybe they listen to our pod. Maybe they do. So keep your eyes to the skies. Bye guys. Bye.